Welcome to Terror Talk on the Terror Express. I'm Jason Bradford, and we are here with the author of A Bloody Halloween, Jimmy Presley, and we are in a part seven of a nine-part episode event here. We are talking about the Friday the 13th franchise, the Paramount Editions, and today we are on Friday the 13th, part seven, The New Blood. Jimmy, are you ready for this one? I'm ready, man. I love are you ready? Seven. You ready to cruise into this one? Dr. Cruise <laughs> into this one? <laughs> I love Terry. Yes. Yes, I, I do too. Um, so I know we keep saying that these movies are sentimental to us. And I and I I know they are. They're sentimental to you and they're sentimental to me. That's because we grew up with these films. And I think that's why the Paramount 8 is so beloved by us. Because we were younger when they came out as opposed to the New Line movies i first saw part seven when i was in i want to say seventh grade and i ended up writing an english report on it and my english teacher gave me an a plus so i I was able to tell our park lincoln that on a chat group she had on facebook once and she asked if i still had it to send it to her which i don't so the point of that story is definitely not even worth mentioning but i did anyways (laughs) I like it. <laughs> so, what was your uh, what was your take on Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven? Uh, you know, I liked it. I, it's did I? I don't know if I mentioned this during our recording of the other ones, but it's weird because Part Seven was one that literally got away from me between six and eight. I remember we'll talk about this later. Seeing Part Eight was coming out, and. Um, I was like, well, where's part seven? <laughs> like, I, I, the next time we went to the video store, there it was. And I, I love the case. And I thought, wow, this looks frightening. And like the mask and uh, you've seen the back of the case. And I remember yeah. my mom let me rent it and I was mm-hmm. shocked. And I've been a fan every, ever since, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it was at the top of my list for a very long time, too. And I like the fact that this is the movie that introduces um, another antagonist besides Jason. Actually, this film had two of them. Obviously, they weren't murderous, hell-bent, vengeful-seeking, you know, axe-wielding maniacs. But we were talking Dr. Cruz and Melissa, uh, the the other bullies of the movie, if you will. I think this is the first movie that really has those characters that created conflict for our final girl. Which would eventually carry on to most of the films to come so i like to say dr cruz and melissa were definitely a a strong influence on what would be future installments yeah future there were trendsetters before it was popular yep absolutely it was just a chemistry that worked really well so what do you think of tina as the final girl uh played by Lar park lincoln She's right in the middle for me. You know, I, I have none against her at all. I mm-hmm. a lot of if people look at movies and and some people take them a little too serious. I'm like, you know, it's entertainment whether you believe it or not. And I thought it was great to come up with a new concept, a new way to fight Jason. You know, like you don't really yes. stand a chance with Zombie Jason unless you do have psychic powers. So <laughs> I thought it was perfect. You know, I just I loved it. I thought yes. she was a great character. Yeah, I liked her a lot, too. I thought she was a great character. She was very, very likable. Um, I, I liked the young Tina as well, played by Jennifer Banco. Um, now, here, here's the thing with Tina, and this is my, this is just 
things that I've I've learned in the past. I don't know if the source is reliable or not. Perhaps listeners, if you're listening, if you know the actual answer to this, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, put it in the comments. But they Paramount tried to get the copyright release for the character of Carrie, owned by I believe it was MGM, Carrie White, Stephen King character. Um, obviously, they weren't able to get it. They wanted it to be Jason versus Carrie, a crossover. But they weren't able to get rights to that character. I don't know if it was the movie studio or if it was Stephen King. But anyway, so they made a Carrie-like character and named her Tina Shepard. And that's how we got the pyrokinesis, uh, telekinesis, the ability to see the future and all that stuff. It came, it came about as a... As a a carry ripoff, yeah, which makes which yeah. makes this movie a, a double hitter because you know Friday Thirteenth is a Halloween ripoff, and now we have Tina who's a carry ripoff. This is like this <laughs> is the major ripoff movie, but what fun <laughs> it is! And I, it's it never really occurred to me. I'd heard the story before about Carrie somehow being involved, and I, I just I'd forgotten, so I don't know the details. But it, when I look at it. It's just, uh, I think it would have been cool to see that. Uh, you know, otherwise, I just look at it as a, kind of a Texas Chainsaw 3 precursor, or maybe even, yeah. which one came first? I think 7, Friday 7 think, came first. I think Friday 7 came first. Yeah, because yeah. two of the people from that are in, yeah. you know, the Chainsaw 3. So. Right, yeah, right. Benko went on to play Leatherface's daughter. And who else right. from Part 7 was in Part uh, three of the uh, William Butler or his character in the woods to get stabbed with a oh. tent. Ah, he was, yes, yes, yeah. yes. I I never put two and two together. Yeah, yeah. I love mm-hmm. that because it's one of my favorite yes. Chainsaw movies. So, yeah, I liked it too. It's it's underrated mm-hmm. for sure. Yes, it really is. Yes, just like I think Part Seven of Friday the Thirteenth is. While we're on that subject, you know, I think a lot of people don't really yeah. talk about it other than Kane Hodder and the makeup, which is great. Yeah. But I, uh, let's let's talk about Kane Hodder and the makeup. How phenomenal was ooh. the makeup in Part Seven? It has got to be one of the the best looking Jasons, and I don't think I don't think a majority of fans would disagree with us. I'm pretty sure even you agree that his makeup in Seven was was stellar. Yeah, it was superior to any of the other films, as good as some of them were, and, and probably even to horror at that time. I mean, there weren't many movies that did full body suits like that. And right, right. You know, I mean, you had just, you had his knees, the joints working in his knees. You could see his teeth through the the rotting opening of his jaw. Now, I, yeah. I will say, Richard Broker was was still my Richard Broker Broker. I will no, say Richard Broker was still my yeah. favorite Jason ever, but <laughs> my favorite look of Jason was Kane Hodder in Part Seven. I think that that was created what I think is the iconic look of what Jason, uh, what people think of when they when they think of Jason, they think of Part Seven. I think primarily. Oh yeah, from what I've heard, yeah. I do too. And three and four were so close, you know, in the look uh, with Ted White and Richard. Uh, I think people think some people are divided between, you know, there's living Jason and zombie Jason. So mm-hmm. um, there weren't many with living Jason, not compared to zombie now, but, you know, I love Ted White playing him and which I didn't really mention in four, but, you know, Kane, I think it's probably, you know, number two or three on my list. And yeah, he'd probably be pissed off to hear me say that. But 
<laughs> but you know, I, I love Kane, but geez, uh, yeah, yeah, he's 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 a great great people oh, he's person. Something else. Yeah, he is. What do you think of the the storyline, the way it flows? Was there anything about the storyline of Part Seven? Obviously, it was very similar to the prior movies, but it had its it had its new additions that made it different. What was what was your take on the the overall feel and vibe of the story? You know, it's broken down to so many little sub stories with the, the party next door, and then the Tina story, and then the Jason continuation. And I thought it flowed pretty well. I thought when I was a kid, I thought it was a little slow in the beginning with the Tina, Doctor Cruz stuff. But as I got older, understood it more and what was going mm-hmm. on, and how she felt, how he felt, and mm-hmm. you know, I learned to really accept it. And it's fine. It flows fine for me now. But you know, other than that, yeah. you know, being a kid, it was different. But yeah. Yeah, I like the performances in Part 7. I thought Kevin Blair was great. I thought Susan Blue was great, obviously. Uh, Terry Heiser, who played Dr. Cruz, was great. I think everyone, performance-wise, I think this one definitely is up there at the top, toward the top, maybe not the very top. But, I mean, when you think of the acting, even even my all-time favorite Part 3, I I will admit that acting was pretty atrocious in some scenes um i won't <laughs> name any i won't name any names or characters to give it away chili <clears throat> excuse me uh, but um you know some of them are really bad but part seven oh, i liked i liked the, the performances <laughs> oh yeah yeah i did but, too uh, it honestly when i'm looking back it probably has one of the more well acted all the way through uh there's mm-hmm. a few little things i'm not gonna nitpick i don't want actors getting mad or but it's just yeah i think it was superior and i Never, I'll tell you the story about Chili when we stop recording. It's so funny that you mm-hmm. brought up Chili because, you know, I love her, but <laughs> right, I got to right. tell you something about a specific scene later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can say it now if you want. Well, I'll real quick. My my sons, when they watch it with me, I introduced them to the series. Good move or not, I don't know. But uh, when they were young, and every one of them said to me as they watched it for the first time when Chili is screaming, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Shelly's dead. Exactly she's right. Dead. Everybody knows that thing, right? And I'm right, like, you know yeah. what? Maybe she's actually doing a really good job. She's frozen in fear and she's panicking. She was sick that night, which no one really knew. But um, I thought she, if you really think about how someone would freeze up and act, I thought she did a good job. But there's no short way to tell that story. It just it depends on how you look at it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I guess if your glass is half full or half empty or maybe <laughs> somebody else's glass altogether. <laughs> yeah, just for chili here, but yeah. Just just for chili, just for chili. <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but back, back to, to part seven, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the character of Melissa as being another antagonist in the movie. Um, and part eight, which we'll we'll talk about uh, in our next episode, we have Tamara, who I think mirrors Melissa a lot. There, I know the two characters are compared um, and and put up in a versus contest, like who is the biggest bitch. But um, would... what's your what's your take on Melissa, played by Susan Jennifer Sullivan? And do you think that Susan? There's a lot of controversy. A lot of people uh, think she's dead. A lot of people think she's alive. Uh, there is, I believe it was in the one of the documentaries, uh, Crystal Lake Memories, or commented that she had passed away from cancer. Right. But, so I don't know the accuracy. You can research it. I have researched it. There's no definitive answer. But 
So you, the two-part question, let me let me re- reiterate that. What do you think of Melissa, and do you think Susan Jennifer Sullivan is alive or not? Yeah, I, you know, and Melissa really got under my skin. I thought uh, the actress played her well, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I couldn't help but like her. She was uh, one of those characters, Same. for some reason, she's polarizing, you know, mm-hmm. and she drew me Same. to her. Yes, so. and it made it made her death all that much more sweet when she got it, because it was oh, so yeah. deserved. Well, it, yeah. It, was, it made it that much more pleasurable as as the viewer. Yeah, boy, <laughs> that, that, that moment, yeah. Um, yeah, whether she's passed away or not, I, I really don't know. I've heard the same thing both, and there's no definitive answer, like you said. And right, if she right. has, I hope she re- you know, she's resting in peace. But um, mm-hmm. otherwise, I want to give her, if she ever hears this, props. I thought she did a great job acting, and I heard she was she a did. sweetheart in real life. I, so. Yes, I've heard that as well. But um, hopefully, I, I am with you on that. I I like to think she is still alive as well, and uh, living living her best life in and privacy obviously if she wanted to be known that she was alive she would make herself known but you know a lot of people they like their privacy and don't oh, yeah. care to pursue anything beyond that but so yeah. moving on we let's compare tina back to tina here a little bit let's compare her to some of the other final girls here um and the reason why i hold chris from part three as my favorite final girl is because she's really physically and mentally uh advanced like stronger i think than any of the other final girls she really she really sticks it to jason whereas tina she kicks jason's ass and she probably puts him through more than any other final girl but she's not physically against jason she's just she stands there and she uses her power so that to me is the only reason why i don't give tina high props as a final girl she's not uh, she's not on the bottom of my list like i said in part four trish and one other final girl that is still yet to be discussed i know that really narrows it down but uh but uh that's why it puts tina probably around the middle of the final girl list for me where does tina stand with you yeah she's in like i said she's in the middle for me i i, I really liked her i i wish we could have gotten a moment where her powers might have failed due to too much emotion or something. Yes. Where you could see yeah. where she might have had to be a little physical for a moment, yeah. but that would have been we great. didn't. So it's hard right. to judge her because, you know, it just wasn't written that way. So I, I give right. her props. She still kicked his ass all over that camp or that, <laughs> you know, yes, that area. She did. She did. Yeah. yeah. And I think the special effects, and thank God they didn't have CGI back then. Because I love oh, yeah. practical, and I think the practical effects in A New Blood are absolutely fantastic. Whoever did the the special effects in that were fantastic, uh, and right. I thank them for their talents. Because Lord knows we could have had some, we could have had a mess, a hot mess with what oh, we yeah. got. I mean, obviously yeah. the the special makeup effects, what they should have been, would have been absolutely phenomenal but what we got i think part seven falls to me as one of the biggest victims of the mpaa we got jack shit for deaths in part seven yeah yeah the cut scenes in that definitive blu-ray um to see how much they were trimmed i mean they had this guy Mm -hmm. had some imagination whoever wrote this and came up with this stuff and it's a shame i wish they had been able to find some kind of print where they could have restored it I know John, the director, passed away. John Carl Beekler, rest his soul. But I know he wanted that definitive cut. 
and he even said if he could do it, he would. But yes, and I, I wonder why uh, the footage when you see it on like the Blu-ray special features, the footage is so bad. I don't yeah. understand where the footage came from that it would look that bad. Even the footage from part two that recently resurfaced uh, within the last couple of years looks superior to the part seven footage, which it looks like an old copy of a copy of a copy of a bootleg VHS tape with bad tracking. Yeah. That's to me what that looked like. It's almost like you can't even see it. That's what I heard it was from part seven. It was a VHS copy of all the cut stuff. Uh, they had a work mm. print of the movie and uh, then they did the the, the the deleted scenes, got their own uh, print. It was on VHS. And I don't know why they didn't uh, up the quality like they did for two, maybe because two was talked about for so long, the mystery of the, the stabbing in the bed, especially um, that they just felt like they could, you know, spend the money on such a short amount of tape to restore it. And maybe they didn't want to in seven because there was a lot more cut in seven. It might have cost yes. a fortune to restore that, but. Yes, and I and I, believe I don't know. Seven would have been NC seventeen or X. Oh if yeah, it had been released the way John Carl wanted it released. Oh yeah, well definitely. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the music of Part Seven. Now we have Harry Manfredini, who has done all of the installments up from the original through this one. And only now we have Fred Molin brought on, who also did the music in. The Friday the Thirteenth series with Robbie. Right. Um, what what do you what do you think with the music part seven? Do you think Fred Mullen did a good job with the music? Do you like his take on it? Did we miss the Harry Manfredini? I know we had recycled the Manfredini music in part seven, so we didn't, you know, we didn't lose the sounds that we were used to. But it was a little bit of a fresh take by Fred. What do you think of the music? Yeah, I liked it. Um, it. It's nothing that really stands out when I think of seven. I can hear the music in my head, and mm -hmm. and it was okay. I, I, we'll talk about eight, of course, another day. But it, um, mm -hmm. I liked it. I, I thought it captured a mood that had been captured. But I think what saved the movie was the recycled Manfredini stuff. It, to hear it and feel those moments when it popped up and those themes from, especially they used a lot from six. Yeah. That kind of kept it going uh, you know kept the movie moving forward for me it just felt like okay this did happen next i mean you know i think manfredini kept the spirit of those that movie yeah. that series alive yeah i agree i agree speaking of the spirit of the movie we had walt gorney who played crazy ralph in the first two films um he contributed a little bit to part seven and i don't know if a lot of fans know this little friday 13th trivia here for you but the narrative the narrator the narrator in the beginning of part seven there's a legend around here a killer buried but not dead you know that the opening monologue that was walt gorney yeah Un uncredited yeah, yeah I've, I've had people yell at me saying that that that's not true that they had proven it otherwise that it was someone else and then i have other people arguing oh, that's it that's it yeah. uh, and no matter yeah. what that's a great opening and if it, it was, is, it is a great opening. Yes. A yeah. great, great, great dialogue for sure. And if it that was. wasn't Walt, Walt Gorney, whoever's listening here, drop, drop a link into the, the comments here. Show us your source. I would love to look into that with an open mind. And uh, mm. I, I like to believe it was Walt though. Me too. Uh, just, just for trivia's sake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Me too, man. 
So are there any other characters in Friday the 13th Part 7 that you would like to touch on a little bit or maybe even some uh, other crew behind the camera that you'd like to mention before we get into our final questions of favorite, non-favorite kills in the scene, in the in the film? Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to make this quick. I, I really loved, we talked about Dr. Cruz. I was really a fan of his work. I love Terry. Mm-hmm. I loved uh, her mom, um, Tina's mom, but Honestly, my favorite character besides obviously Tina or Jason and Melissa, I love those. But for some reason, that Sandra character, you know, she was kind of a rich, yeah. kind of snooty. Yeah. I really liked her character for some reason, you know. So yeah, I like I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, I did. Yeah. I like. No, her. no, I, I get, I get you. I and I, I like her a lot too. Um, there was one part with Maddie, um, and. Now, honestly, I'm going to say this, and I'm saying this very honestly. Maddie really did not need any touch-up work, but there was there was one scene that in the entire movie that really bugged the shit out of me, and it was the scene with Maddie. Is after her after her little uh, makeover, she goes out into the back and she loses her earring, and this is the part right before Russell, before his uh, coochie face corpse falls from the tree. Yes, she loses her earring. She doesn't know where she loses that earring and she starts looking for it in a ground, a forest ground covered in millions of leaves. Yeah. And she found it. What are the odds? (laughs) What are the odds of finding that small earring on a forest floor when you don't know where you lost it anywhere between the house and where she stood? I think, I just think it would have been better had she not found that earring and that just, I don't know why. It's such a little <laughs> mundane thing to get pissed about, but it pisses me off every time she pulls that earring. I watch it like it, like it's going to change. One of these times, she's not going to find it, and I'm going to be happy. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't know what the writer was thinking. Whether she found it or not, it does not matter. But yeah, she, she did. <laughs> Someone asked me, why do you watch these movies over and over and over again? I said, because maybe one of these days the ending will change. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm the same. The same. Same, same with Charles. One of these times, she's not gonna find that earring, and it will make more <laughs> sense. But, um, <laughs> oh, so yeah. let's move on. Let's move on. Let me ask you, Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. What was your favorite kill or death? That's scene? an easy, quick answer, Melissa. By far, as quick and as simple as it was, with the reverse axe shot. Like you said earlier, you, it was a sweet moment. You know, you saw it, you felt it coming, you wanted it to, I guess, if you're sick in the head, I guess. I didn't really want it to, but <laughs> damn, that was, I mean, she's like, well, fuck you both. And wham, you know, it's just like, holy <laughs> shit. You know, yeah, that was my favorite by far. It's simple, yeah. but I loved it. Yeah, it was It was a good one. I like the buildup for Maddie's death scene. I remember the first time I saw it, just her watching Jason through the little slats of the thin boards. When he was getting the weapon, that was pretty intense. But I think my favorite kill in part seven goes to Kate. Oh, yeah. Party horn to the eye. I thought that was very (laughs) original, and I've not seen it before or since. And then Uh, when Tina found her and the party horn was still still protruding from the the, uh, eye socket there, I just thought that was a great little touch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. What's your least favorite in the in this installment? And my least favorite is um oh lord, what was her name? Uh, Maddie's friend. Robin. Robin that gets thrown from the window. And of course, we talked in a private chat about how it resembled mm-hmm. the pillowcase originally, the stabbing of the pillowcases for Violet, mm-hmm. uh, or pillows. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's what it looked like. And I didn't like either death. I thought it was kind of weak and. Yep. I, I personally, and that Robin is also my least favorite. So we are definitely on the same level in agreements with our least favorite kill in part seven. I, I personally would have rather have seen the pillowcase where he sliced her with the machete. It was like a key who he had halved her, but right. I thought the throw out the window was so cheap. I mean, here he throws her from the second floor window. She falls. She lands softly on this dirt. Definitely not an <laughs> impact that would have killed her. And all oh, the yeah. glass that broke from the window and was in one shot actually falling behind her never landed. No, nope, it never did. And again, I watch this movie a hundred times. Maybe one of these days it'll be different and we'll get the the glass <laughs> landing on top of her. Maybe she'll have a piece of glass impaled through her that would give a reason to be dead. But for yep. now, <laughs> I'm going to stay that her that her death was definitely a wasted throwaway death. Definitely. Literally. Thank you for joining Terror Talk on the Terror Express. Uh, listeners, you can find Jimmy's book on... Barnes and Noble or Amazon, and it's called A Bloody Halloween. And you can find me on Cameo, raising funds. 100% of funds will go toward the Maui Animal uh, Foundation Humane Society to help reunite and take care of lost and misplaced animals. Uh, thanks for listening, Jimmy. Thank you for joining us. We'll uh, chat very soon for Jason Takes Manhattan. Yes.